Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How we doing? We good? I'm going to give you one more chance. How we doing? We good? All right, I'm going to give you a chance to woohoo if you came to the non-existent 830 service today. A couple of you. Yeah. We're glad that you were here. Uh, I heard it was riveting. Uh, I was not here, uh, but no, we're, we're sorry about that. A holiday schedule, and we tried to communicate that, but we're thankful that you're here and you stuck around for 10 o'clock. But uh, hey, you're in for treat today. We're going to continue in this series in just a minute. But let me just say uh, happy July 4th weekend to you, even though that was a couple days ago. Uh, I know some of you, you, you kind of celebrate for a week, uh, and maybe if you don't have anything to celebrate, if you're already kind of beyond July 4th, my birthday's tomorrow. So if you want to celebrate something, go ahead and celebrate that. Kinley, our daughter, uh, she shares a birthday with me. So I've said for, uh, you know, eight years now that she was the best birthday present I ever got, and then I lost my birthday. So yesterday, we had an arts and craft birthday party is what we did together. Uh, And so we had a good time with that. So today, we woke up singing, tomorrow, tomorrow, our birthday's tomorrow, it's only a day away. So, hey, but uh, we're, we're excited that you're here uh, today. And, and thanks to all of you that came Thursday night as we celebrated July 4th here together at Canton Church and uh, the fireworks. The city is just great to go ahead and shoot their fireworks off so that we can watch it from the church, which is great. So we hosted a bunch of folks from the community. Uh, we had some amazing food trucks. That taco truck, not just because I like Mexican, but that taco truck was amazing. So if you were here, you, you got an amen there you missed. That's okay. Uh, I'll let you miss that one. But uh, we had a great time. Today is a really special day for our church because we also sent off a group of 15 people to Guatemala this morning. This is them just, honestly, just a few minutes ago, perhaps, uh, but they, they are uh, about to load, well, they're probably on the airplane, uh, and they're going to leave, I think, honestly, in like three or four minutes. They're going to take off for flight, and uh, so we, they, they prayed together this morning. Uh, it's a great team, and we're excited about what God's going to do. We can't wait to share the stories with you. You know, our heart for missions is that eventually we're going to have a presence and a partnership on every continent of the globe where ministry is happening. And so we're beginning that process, and we've got partners now on three continents, and so we're thankful as God continues to expand that. And for those of you that give to Legacy Makers, you allow us to help to continue to multiply and grow that ministry. So thanks to those of you who are giving above, above your tithes and offerings to Legacy Makers. It really is making a difference. Uh, you know, for me, as I think about all that's happening, you heard just a minute ago, you got the family series coming up. We've had this last five weeks of the Roman series that I think in this summer series, we have really set the stage for where we're headed this fall as a church. We believe that God is up to something. We believe that God is going to do something really special, really powerful over the next few weeks and months here at our church. And we want you to be a part of that. But really what we've been doing all summer is we've been setting the stage by trying to spend some time in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is in the New Testament. And what we've said over the last five weeks or so, whether it was me speaking or Pastor Trevor or Pastor Matt, we've really been talking about giving handles to some theological terms and phrases and some ideas that will help us to better understand what we believe and why we believe it. It's not just enough to say, hey, this is what I believe, but to really know why we believe those things and to be able to kind of put some handles to it so we can pick those things up and carry it with us into the places that we do life every single day outside of this place. And so uh, over the last few weeks, we've really been doing that. 
And so today I want to continue this series looking at Romans chapter 11 and Romans chapter 12. And hopefully you can follow along. I saw some of you this morning carrying in your Romans journals and we're thankful for that. If you don't have one, you can pick one up at the information center today on your way out. It just helps you to kind of have a guide each day during the week as you do some Bible reading. And then you can take some sermon notes there uh, during these Sundays together. But uh, Romans has been an incredible book for us to spend some time in because the Apostle Paul was writing to a group of Christians in Rome in anticipation that he would visit them one day. And as a part of this letter that he was writing to them, he laid the groundwork for some of these faith questions and these faith concepts that you and I hopefully understand, but if we don't, that we can better understand so that we can grow our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so today I want to continue in that, and I really want to spend a good bit of time towards the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. Each week we haven't tried to preach through each chapter or both chapters that we're spending time in, but I just want to pick a couple of verses that I think help to bring out some, some main ideas from these two chapters that I think will help us. And, and really as we start our time today, I want us to do so uh, in, beginning in verse 22 of of Romans chapter 11. Where, where we find ourselves here is that Paul has been talking about how the Jews, he spent the last couple of chapters referencing the Jewish people. He himself was a Jew, and as he's talking about the Jewish people, he's talking about his brothers and sisters, those that share his heritage, and, and he's talking about how many of the Jews have rejected the teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And the idea that in doing so, they've actually rejected the plan of God, and that's really opened the door now for Paul and others like him to present the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are those non-Jewish people, that, that other group of people that were not a part of the original covenant that God made with, with Father Abraham and really was passed down through the lineage there through his son Isaac into this Jewish people. And so he's saying, hey, now there's a group of people, these Gentile people, who have access to this new relationship with God, and as they're doing so, we understand that some of the Jews are rejecting God completely because they don't believe that what God is doing through Jesus is enough for them to have faith in. And then we come to these, these two verses right here, beginning in verse 22, that, that could bring a little bit of confusion, but I want us to spend some time there that I think will help all of us, whether you're uh, of Jewish descent or, or the rest of us that maybe perhaps just kind of fall in line as Gentiles with how we can follow after Jesus. This is what it says in verse 22. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Let me just stop right there and say I really feel like that's kind of a, a mantra of parenting, right? You need a little kindness, you need a little sternness sometimes. You need to, you need to love with all this grace that you can possibly muster, but you got to bring the truth sometimes. Can I get an amen from any parent in the room? So we understand that, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. If they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So as we read these two verses, if you were just to zoom in just like we did right onto those two verses, you might go, what in the world is he talking about? Well, remember, he's been talking here in chapter 11 to continue the thoughts that he's talked about in chapter 10 and in chapter 9. Pastor Matt did an incredible job last week of helping us to unpack a little bit of what Paul was saying to not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles a little bit. But he was talking about how the Jews had put a lot of stock in the fact that they were Jews, and so that meant they were okay but that ultimately their salvation came through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It wasn't because of who they were or what they could do or who they were related to, but it was in faith in Christ alone. And he's saying, hey, now that there are people who are not trying to use faith for salvation, he's like, listen, they've been cut off. 
Yes, God in his kindness has provided a way for all to be saved. That's what we've been reading over these first few chapters of Romans. But he said, because some have chosen not to believe or have chosen to try to find their salvation through some other means other than faith in Christ alone, they have been cut off. That's what he said at the end of verse 22. He said this. He said, but if they don't persist in their unbelief, they can be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Everybody say again. Again. Now, the reason that I want to spend a couple minutes right here in these verses is because I believe this helps to illuminate a theological idea that I want to try to bring clarity to and help you understand what we believe as a church and what I believe as an individual, as a follower of Jesus Christ. There is a theological doctrine that perhaps you've heard, and if you haven't, I'm going to explain it a little bit so that we can all try to wrap our minds around it, kind of use the handles to pick up and be able to carry it with us to understand why we believe what we believe. And so that theological doctrine is this idea of once saved, always saved, or maybe you've heard it referenced as eternal security. Now, here's what we believe about salvation. We believe that God is the one who saves. I can't save you, Somebody else in the room can't save you. Your favorite pastor can't save you. Your favorite TV preacher can't save you. Good works can't save you. We believe that salvation only comes through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That when Jesus came and he died as a blameless sacrifice, he who knew no sin, he was without sin, yet he became sin for us. The idea that he took on our sin on the cross, he was still blameless, but he died so that you and I and the sins that we have committed, the transgressions that we have committed, could be covered by the, the blood that was shed on the cross. And so we believe that salvation comes from God through Jesus Christ. Nothing else can save you. And so when we believe that, when you, when you accept him as the Lord and Savior of your life, the forgiver of your sins, we believe that you are grafted in. There's several places, not just what we just read, but there's several places that talked about you being grafted into the family of God, that we become joint heirs with Jesus. We become these co-heirs, these sons and daughters of God. And that's an important imagery for us to recognize and to understand because family plays this important picture in the relationship that God offers to us as followers of Jesus Christ. But as I looked at this passage of Scripture, I think it helps us to understand that when we've been reading through Romans, what we saw in Romans chapter 3.23, for any of us, is that if we identify with the truths of Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then all of us find ourselves in the same boat. At some point in our lives, we find ourselves in need of a Savior. And then what Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us is that there is a way for us to be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this. It says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, we believe in our hearts that he raised him from the dead, that we can be saved, right? And that's what we believe here. And so the reality of what we're reading here is that not everybody is saved just because Jesus went to the cross, we believe that even though salvation comes from God alone through the work of Jesus Christ, you and I have a role to play in salvation, we don't do the saving, but we must receive the saving. Does that make sense? The idea that I can't save me and I can't save you. But for me to be saved, my responsibility is to recognize, according to Romans 10, 9, that I need a Savior. So I have to confess with my mouth that I need a Savior, that I can't save myself, that no amount of good works could save me. And so I have to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and then I have to believe that God raised him from the dead, that even death was not more powerful than him. 
And so my responsibility is to receive the saving work of God rather than try to create a saving work in me or to conjure up some other method of being saved. So if that's true, and not everybody's just saved because Jesus went to the cross, though that was enough, all of humanity must choose for themselves to confess that they need him to be the Lord and Savior of their life. So when I think about that and I try to wrestle that to the ground and I understand that then I do have a responsibility to confess and believe, what is it that I'm confessing? Well, what we just read is that we are confessing that Jesus is Lord. The word Lord here is a a Greek word that we see a ton of times. We're going to talk about it in just a second. I'm not a Greek scholar, but my understanding of the way that you would translate this word, it comes off as kurios. And that word is used 721 times in 665 verses in the New Testament. And each time that it's used, it means this. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. We're talking about a master or a Lord. And so these 665 verses in the New Testament, using it 721 times, are talking about you referencing this idea that at some point, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have said, whether these specific words are something very similar, you have said this, God... I belong to you. That's what you're confessing. Jesus is Lord. God, I belong to you. We don't think that it's enough. I mean, it probably is enough, but I'm saying this is not the end of it where you just say, forgive my sins. I I want, you know, fire insurance, right? That's what they used to call it when I was a kid growing up in church. I don't want to go to hell. I need fire insurance. And we say, no, no, it's not... It's not just about forgive my sins. It is be the Lord of my life. And just about every single time we talk about salvation... We couple those things together. God, would you forgive our sins and would you be the Lord of our lives? We talk about this idea of Lord. We're saying, Master, I belong to you. I give myself to you. And so if that's the case, if that's what we're confessing, then what we're saying is that there might be this opportunity for you to choose not to belong to Jesus. right? If I have to confess to receive and to believe the salvation work has already been completed, then there is the possibility that I could say, no, no, I don't belong to you anymore. Ephesians chapter 5 is this incredible chapter where it talks about marriage. This is the place where you would read, beginning in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, about husbands and wives. It it says that at the end of the chapter that this is this great mystery. It's talking about Christ and his church. But over the the verses there, about 9 or 10 verses beginning in verse 22, it talks about the idea that Jesus is the groom and we are the church. We are the bride of Christ And that just as Jesus has a responsibility to us, we have a responsibility to him. And and a part of that responsibility as we coexist together is to receive him as our groom, as the one that we would receive. And so we see this mystery of marriage and we see this mystery of relationship. Well, you and I recognize that even though I would stand at an altar and make a covenant vow to my wife, I belong to you. Statistics tell us, maybe some of you in the room have experienced this, that there can be a day where you say, I no longer belong to you. Now, this is not to say that it's just as easy as kind of getting in and getting out. The way that we say it around Canton Church is we talk about which way is your arrow pointed. Which way is your arrow pointed? A couple years ago, our children's pastor's name was Blake. And I remember asking Blake one day uh, in a staff meeting, I said, hey, how many... Uh, kids accepted Jesus yesterday. I knew he had done this moment of salvation and response. I said, how many kids accepted Jesus yesterday as Lord and Savior? He said, three, plus Branson. Well, Branson's my second son. I I was like, why would you isolate Branson? That's not fair. You shouldn't do that. That's mean. He said, well, it's three plus Branson. But he said, I got to be honest, Branson gets saved every week. (laughs) 
I was like, what? He's like, oh yeah, over the last year, we've had at least 52 salvations. I mean, he's only been one kid, but he's gotten saved 52 times. I was like, what? So I'm thinking, well, this is my son. I'm a pastor. I got to make sure he knows what to believe. And so I went home that day and I said, Branson, what, what? Pastor Blake told me that you get saved every single week. What do you do? And he was like, I've got to, Dad. I do something bad every single week. <laughs> now, surely he can't be the only one, right? Because I know some of you. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> so what I explained to him that I would explain to you is what we're not saying is that with every transgression, it requires you to get saved again. The, the, the idea of once saved, always saved, or eternal security or eternal salvation, we're not talking about that, man, oh, I told a little white lie. Oh, I lost my temper in traffic and shook my fist at him and gave him number one. Like, we're not talking about that. Other people, not you, other people at other churches. But what we're saying is, which way is your arrow pointed? And so what I would say is if, and this is the worst illustration possible, but I'm just a simple guy, so this is the way it makes sense. I would say like if God and godliness and holiness and salvation and being in a relationship with God is on this side of the stage and being the worst dirty, rotten sinner that you could imagine, somebody that works for the IRS or something, unless you do, (laughs) over here on this side, and I'm somewhere living my life in the middle, Is my arrow pointed towards more of God, becoming more like God, being in relationship with him, being deeper in relationship with him? I'm not saying that I'm all the way over here yet. I could be all the way to where that is plus one step back here. But which way is my arrow pointed? Am I in pursuit of the things of God? Am I more and more becoming like him? Am I asking him to remove those things from me that don't reflect him? Or is my arrow pointed away from him? Because if my arrow is pointed to him, then I am confessing with my life. Even as I am imperfect in my humanity, I belong to you. Jesus is Lord. I belong to you. But if my arrow is pointed over here, it doesn't matter how much I go to church and how much I serve and how much time I spend in my life group and how much I give and how many missions trip I go on. It doesn't matter. If, if I am in this direction and my arrow is pointed away from God, I cannot say I belong to you as I'm in pursuit of those things that are opposite to his nature and his character. This is not about individual moments. That's something different. And I want to spend the rest of our time kind of looking at what is that something different. When I was growing up, some of you could identify with this. I'm telling on myself today a little bit. When I was growing up, there was very few references just to being saved. We used to have Sunday night testimony service in my church. I got an amen over here. And when they did Sunday night testimony service, almost every one of them started like this. They'd be sitting down, and they would just stand up, and they'd say, well, pastor, thank you for the opportunity to share. I just want to thank God that I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the good old Holy Ghost. Some of you are laughing too hard. You're telling on yourself too. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I just said three words. You don't have a clue what they mean. I'm saved, sanctified, and we weren't just filled with the Holy Spirit. We were filled with the good old Holy Ghost at my church. What, what, is, what does it mean to be sanctified? Well, I think the idea that we see here is if 
If this is about the idea that I can declare with my life, I can confess that Jesus is Lord, I belong to you, that happens in a moment. As soon as you declare with your mouth, I need you to be the Lord and Savior of my life, the forgiver of my sins. Whether you come to an altar, lift your hands, pray it at your house, in your car, on your job, whether someone leads you in a prayer or you do it alone, as soon as you declare, I need you, he responds immediately, forgives your sins and becomes the Lord of your life in a moment, in an instant. But how many of us know that even in that instant, we still got some stuff we got to work out? I mean, I, I know that even now, as much as I love God, as much as I declare to God, I belong to you. My arrow's pointed towards you. I want to give you everything that I am. I've still got parts of me that do not reflect the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. And why that's important is because it means that there is still work that God needs to do inside of me. And that is a part of what it means to be sanctified. That there is a purification, a cleaning out, a separating for the calling and the purposes that God has created you for. And so there's an instantaneous work of sanctification where God makes you holy and righteous in his sight. But there is the progressive work of sanctification where he continues to cleanse you and purify you and remove those impediments in your life that do not reflect who he is. So look at this. This kind of takes us to chapter 12. We've been walking through this idea that as we reject him, but if we choose him, so if we're walking this way, which we're going to talk about in a minute, we're walking this way and say, I, I don't belong to you anymore. It's not just that I told a little white lie. It's like, I don't want to be in relationship with you. I'm not in pursuit of you. My arrow's not pointed anywhere in your direction. If we, as he talks about, if we reject our unbelief, if we do not persist in our unbelief and we turn back to him, no matter how far we think we've gone over here, I mean, we signed the papers to join the IRS. Like we were really, really close. The moment we say, but God, he's right there. He's right there. It says that he grafts us in again. Again. And so what does it look like after that again? Or what does it look like after we are saved for that first time? That this idea that it's not every single week we got to pray the sinner's prayer, but we say, God, would you continue to do a purifying work in me? Look at this in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, this is a pretty famous passage of Scripture. For those that are kind of Christ followers or you've been reading your Bible for any length of time, perhaps you have run across Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It begins a stretch of some of my favorite Scriptures in all of the Bible. If you look at my Bible app that I have on my phone, all of chapter 12 except three verses are highlighted in every translation I have downloaded on my phone. I just love chapter 12. A few uh, days ago, maybe a week or a week and a half ago, uh, who, the folks that run our social media posted and said, hey, what's your favorite chapter in Romans? And it's tough for me to pick, but if I'm going to default to one, it almost has to be chapter 12. And so it starts in chapter 12 with this idea that Paul's saying, hey, listen, I'm urging you. 
I'm calling you. I'm trying to compel you to understand what it is that you are called and equipped to do and to be. He says, what I think you should do is I think you should offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. This is true worship. And he says, as you do, you renew your mind, being transformed so that you can find God's will. Now, in early May of this year, we did an entire sermon on what God's will was and our You Asked For It series. So if you weren't here, I encourage you, go back and listen to that sermon on our podcast. We talked about what God's will was. And we really centered that, that sermon and that thought out of Romans chapter 8, which was just a few weeks ago. But when we talk about God's will, just so you know, when we talk, I believe that God's will is the same for every Christ follower. So often when we talk about God's will, we're saying, what should I do with my life? What vocation? What, what job? What, what trajectory should I put my life on? I think that's a little different variation of a question. So if that's what you're asking, I'm calling that something else. But God's will, according to Romans chapter 8, is that all of us would be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. All of us would be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so if that's the case, if that's God's will for all of us, then it speaks to what we've been talking about over the last few minutes. Then whether I'm, I feel like on the scale, the spiritual continuum, I'm way over here and I'm really, really close and I'm saying, God, I belong to you, I belong to you, you have everything that I am, or whether we're way over here, but we still have our arrow pointed in the right direction, And we say, I belong to you. You're the Lord of my life. I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I'm saved. I'm pointed in the right direction. Even if I feel like I am so far from God in who I am and what I am and, and what I reflect with my life, no matter where we find ourselves, if that's the part of the process, then what Paul is saying, okay, then listen, here's what you've got to do. Every single day, you have to offer sacrifice. Now, this is not a new idea. Paul was talking to a group of Jews and Gentiles who would have been very familiar with sacrifice. When they came to the temple, they would have brought their best goat or cow or dove or whatever the occasion called for. They would have brought their first fruits. They would have brought the things that came out of their garden. They would have brought something as an offering, as a sacrifice to to be offered unto God. And the sacrifices, different than the offerings, was that blood was shed so that the, the sins, the transgressions of their lives could be atoned for. And up until the time of Jesus... Those things had to be atoned for every time there was transgression, every time they made a mistake, almost like we talked about a second ago. Every time they told a lie, every time they did something that wasn't right, every time they violated all of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws that had been given to them, they had to bring a sacrifice and try to bring atonement for their, to cover their sins and their transgression. And then on the annual reminder that they were a sinful and fallen people, they had to bring another sacrifice. But then we see that Jesus comes on the scene, and Romans tells us that he was the once-for-all-time sacrifice. So the idea here is that there's no longer the need for us to bring atonement every single time we make a mistake, every time that it's a reminder of the annual renewal of, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, let me bring something new, let me bring something new. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus was the once-for-all-time sacrifice. So now, what do we sacrifice? If you don't have to bring your goats and cows to church anymore... What do you offer to God? Yourself. He says, I urge you, in light of God's mercy, in view of his mercy towards you, that he would look at you, look at me, and say, hey, you are someone that can be saved, even though you are a wretched sinner, all have fallen short of God's Even though that's you, God's mercy extends to you. How do we respond? as living sacrifices. So what is a living sacrifice? Well, he says, well, listen, once you figure it out here, 
That's your worship. True and proper worship is the way that you sacrificially live. And so as I've been contemplating this this week, I've been thinking like, what am I willing to give up to God? What am I willing to give up to God? I think this takes on kind of two thoughts here. As I'm trying to be conformed into the image of God's son, Jesus Christ, and I'm called to be a living sacrifice, what am I willing to give up to God? There's some easy things for us just to naturally think. We go, okay, well, even if I'm not a you know, really spiritual person, I mean, there's some things that I recognize, like this is, this is some don'ts in the list of do's and don'ts. Like this is on the don't list. Maybe you start with, you know, the commandments. Like it's probably pretty common belief that we just, let's just don't kill people. Like let's just not. Even people we don't like, like let's just ignore them. Let's don't actually kill them. Like that's a good place to start. Let's just all agree that there's some moral ground for us not to do that, right? Then we say, well, let's, you know, let's not steal things that aren't ours. Like if it doesn't belong to you, don't steal. I remember when I was a little kid, we went to the store. I've told this story before. We were walking through the store. I was a very little kid. I'm with my mom, and I see this little car, a little toy car. Somebody had taken it from the package. I thought, well, hey, that probably means it's mine, obviously. It's just sitting on the shelf, no price tag, no, no box. That's, it's just sitting there. That, they want me to take that. So I said, hey, mom, can I take that? She was like, no, that's not yours. But what she meant was, yeah, go ahead and put it in your pocket. <laughs> okay. So I didn't say anything, because that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. When they had sinned, they hid it. So I hid it. I didn't want to tell anybody about it until my, you know, stupid brain gets in the way. And we're in the car, and I'm saying, man, I can't wait to get home and play with my new car. Mom's like, what new car? Um, I'm going to make one out of metal. I'm going to fashion it. Because I'm four, but I am talented. And it's going to look something like this. (laughs) You know what they made me do? When I got home, they made me take it back to the store and walk up to the manager of the store and give it back and say, I took this, it wasn't mine, and I'm sorry. I was four. Like, that was a long time ago. Not as long as some of you, but it was long for me, right? But I've never forgotten that they taught me that there were some don'ts on the do's and don'ts list. There's some things we don't do because if our arrow is pointed in the direction of God, I belong to you, to take things that don't belong to you don't reflect the character and nature of God. So in this process, i got to sacrifice some things that I want because they're not mine. It doesn't matter if nobody would see. If my character and my integrity is to more and more reflect the character and nature and integrity of who God is through his son, Jesus Christ, and if it's not mine, I don't take it. Jesus kind of raises the bar, and he's like, no, even when you keep the law, like, there's more. It's a heart issue. Pastor Matt talked about it last week. Like, if you, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you don't even have to commit the sin You've already committed the sin in your heart. If you look at someone with anger in your heart, it's the same as committing murder. You go, well, I didn't kill a guy. No, but your anger betrays a heart that doesn't yet look like the heart of Jesus. 
And so we go, okay, there's this process then of, of a living sacrifice. Then, then I've got to control my tongue and I've got to kind of manage my heart and manage my emotions. And I've got to, in my marriage as husbands, I've got to love my wife in the way that Christ loves the church. Well, what did he do? He literally gave himself up for his bride. And so sometimes we don't get Mexican. Because <laughs> I'm a living sacrifice and I give up my way for my wife. And I, I love my kids in ways that show them what the father's love looks like. Even when they do things that disappoint me. Because I've disappointed him. I'm a living sacrifice. And so when I make mistakes... It's not that I make a mistake and all of a sudden my arrow's pointed away from God. I'm like, oh, I got to get saved again. It's like, no, no, my arrow's pointed towards him. And that's why I recognize that I am not yet where I need to be. And I go, God, I, I need you to help me to more and more reflect your character and your nature and continue to do a cleansing work in me and purify me and remove those things that don't look like you. And God, you wouldn't respond the way I just responded in traffic. You wouldn't respond to my boss the way I just responded. You wouldn't respond to my employees the, the way that I just responded to. Like you would try to figure out like what compelled them to respond that way to me and what, what caused them to take that action and why did they do You wouldn't respond to my kids the way I just responded to my kids. God, you, you wouldn't allow these substances to control my life because you've called me to live free. And so until I find freedom in you, I, I got some work to do. God, purify me, cleanse me. What, what am I willing to give up to God? There's, there's some easy things. I'm like, okay, I can just give these things up. God, help me to give these things up. For some of us, the give up is in the resting to know that I'm not the one that saves me. I give up my belief that I'm enough and my good works are enough. That I create my own salvation. So I just give up and I rest and I say, God, my identity is not wrapped up in what I can produce. My identity is found in you, and so I rest in you. That's the importance of the Sabbath. I stop producing something for 24 hours so that I don't feel like my value is only in what I produce with my hands. Like, no, I just rest as you rested. I rest to reflect your character and your nature so that I can say my identity is in Christ alone. And so what does Paul say? How, how, do we, how do we do this living sacrifice thing? Look at what he said in verse two. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. He says that there's a pattern of behavior in the world, and that pattern of behavior does not reflect who God is calling you to be. And so what we do is we, we must be transformed we must rebel against the patterns of this world. And the only way that we can do that is for the renewing of our mind. I love that the tense here of this word is not that our mind would be renewed, past tense, or that it will be renewed, future tense, by the renewing, ongoing, present tense, the renewing of your mind. Because there's some days that my mind is renewed. I'm thinking the right things. I'm doing the right things. God's, God's at work in me. Man, I feel like not only is my arrow pointed over there, I have moved all the way over here next to Jesus. And then I gotta be honest, there's other days. I need him to keep doing some renewing in me. 
renewing. 2 Corinthians chapter 16, chapter 4, verse 16 says that our outer man is decaying, but our inner man is renewed day by day. The idea that we get up every day and we take up our cross as a living sacrifice, he's not asking for your blood. He's asking for all of you. He says your living sacrifice, that the way that I live, the way that I conduct my life, sometimes means that I say no to things I want to say yes to. Sometimes it means I say yes to some things I want to say no to because I am living sacrificially, giving up some things to God. Not because he's got to resave me, but as he works out the sanctification, the purification, the cleansing of my heart and the cleansing of my life so that I more and more reflect his, my arrow's already pointed that way. I'm just reflecting his character and his nature in a way that when people see me, I bet. I mean, he's not perfect. She's not perfect. You know, they still make mistakes. But I bet, man, that's, that's about as close as I've seen a human being as to what I think Jesus would be like if he was living today. They just love people. They're gracious towards people. They're kind to people. They're forgiving towards people. Like they just walk in the truth, but they extend grace. They don't sugarcoat things, but man, they just, they have this, this, nature about them that's loving and caring, but they stand for what's right. God, cleanse me, purify me, sanctify me. It's amazing that in Ephesians chapter 5, when it's talking about the role of husbands and wives, it's the idea that they are sanctified, purified by the cleansing of the word. And so the question for all of us today begins with this. Which way is your arrow pointed? Are you moving in the direction of God? Have you asked him to forgive your sins and to be the Lord of your life? God, I belong to you. If so, no matter where you find yourself on this spectrum, your arrow's pointed the right way. And now we say, God, thank you for what you've already done through Jesus Christ on the cross. God, I I receive the free gift of salvation. I, I receive that. I'm moving towards you. The arrow's pointed in the right direction. So God, I'm moving. I receive that. So if today your arrow's not pointed towards him, if you cannot say, I belong to Jesus, Maybe I prayed a prayer at some point in my life, and this is not about getting re-saved, but I recognize that I am not moving towards him. I have not received him as the Lord and Savior of my life. Today, the best decision that you could make is to ask him to forgive your sins and to be the Lord of your life. The second question is for those of us that perhaps have already made that decision. Do you need God to do more sanctifying in you? I do. I do. I need God to do some cleansing work in me, some purifying work in me, to continue to set me apart for his holy purposes. God, would you continue to remove those things that do not reflect your character and your nature? God, when people see me, would they see you? God, would I extend your love and your grace and your mercy in every instance possible? And where I mess up, it doesn't mean my arrow turns the other direction. It just means, God, there's still more work to be done. And so what Paul's been talking about over these last couple chapters is just because of the grace of God, I don't just go, well, I can just keep on sinning. I can just keep doing what I want to do. I mean, my arrow's pointing in the right direction. I'm, I can just keep doing what I want. No, 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 no. We say, God, in light of your mercy, in view of your grace, which I don't deserve, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. I don't take advantage of the cross. I don't take advantage of Jesus. I respond to the cross by saying, God, keep doing your work in me. 
keep purifying me, keep cleansing me, keep washing me in the water of the word so that I more and more reflect the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. How would our community be different? How would our marriages be different? How would our relationships with our kids and our parents be different? How would we be different on our jobs if it wasn't just that our arrow was pointed towards him, but that every single day our mind was being renewed? There was an ongoing process that even as the outer man is being decayed, that the inner man is being renewed every single day, day by day, day by day, day by day, so that more and more we reflect the character and the nature of Jesus Christ people see us, they get just a glimpse, just a glimpse of him. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around, if you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I need to make that decision to accept him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. My arrow's not pointed in the right direction. I'm not in a relationship with him. No matter what prayers I've prayed in my past in my life. This is not about resaving. It's not about any of that. It's just saying, I know my arrow is not pointed towards him in relationship. And I want him to forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life. I want to be able to declare today that I belong to him. If that's you, would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Number of hands today. Anybody else? I don't want to miss this. I know you may be scared. I know you think, well, I'm not. No. If you feel in your heart right now, this is something the Lord's asking you to do. Go ahead and raise your hand gonna pray for you in just a second. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's not salvation. I believe it's sanctification. I need God to continue a cleansing work in my life to rid me of those things that do not reflect his character and his nature. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Tons of hands. My hands lifted too, by the way. God, I thank you for every person in this place today, from the youngest to the oldest, those that have been walking with you a long time to those that are still searching for who you might be. God, I pray for every person now that's lifted their hands to respond to you, to be the Lord and Savior of their life. We never take it for granted for the decisions that they're making today. God, I thank you for that. I'm asking you now to do the work that they're asking you to do. Forgive their sins. Be the Lord of their life from this day forward. And God, now I pray for every hand that was lifted to say, I need God to continue to do a sanctifying work in me, to continue to cleanse me and purify me to help me to reflect his nature and his character so that I can test and approve the will of God in my life and actually live as a living sacrifice. God, let it be so for every single person in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.